this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today this month haryana has been rocked by agitations and healthcare services there have been disrupted as medical students have been protesting against the state government's bond policy Bond policies for students at government medical colleges usually involve a mandated period of service at a state-run hospital, generally in a rural setting, for students after their graduation, failing which they pay a penalty amount. In Haryana, the government's original policy said that MBBS candidates had to pay an annual bond of rupees 10 lakhs minus the fee at the start of every academic year, which the government would repay if the candidate obtained employment with the state. The service period with the state is seven years. Following the protests, the chief minister then said that the bond need not be paid at the time of admission, and instead students would have to sign a bond come loan agreement with the college and a bank. However, reports indicate that students are still unhappy with this policy. Many states have bond policies for medical students, with the bond amount and the period of service varying from state to state. In general, the understanding is that since students at government medical colleges get an education that is subsidized by the state, they must provide service in return. generally in rural areas where there may be a shortage of doctors in august 2019 the supreme court upheld the bond policy put in place by states but said that some seemed to have rigid conditions and suggested to the center that the country have a uniform policy regarding this now there are reports that the union health ministry plans to create guidelines to scrap the bond policy altogether based on recommendations from the national medical commission and perhaps incorporate mandatory rural service through a non financial mechanism While providing healthcare rurally is crucial, 75% of our health infrastructure is concentrated in urban areas. Students in parts of the country have complained of no state job guarantees once their degree is complete, and in some cases, no payment of salaries. So, does the bond policy for medical students need to be relooked at? How can state governments provide healthcare where it is desperately needed while ensuring a policy that is fair to students? How do other countries handle their rural healthcare systems? and what else can governments do to provide accessible quality healthcare in our villages to speak with us about this and more we have with us today dr soham devhaduri a physician a health policy expert and chief editor of the indian practitioner good afternoon dr bhaduri and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast thank you so much zubeda it's a pleasure to be here thank you dr many states in india have imposed a mandatory bond upon medical college students which says that they must work for state run hospitals for a certain period of time after their graduation failing which they pay a penalty these bonds have been in the news recently because students in haryana have been protesting for weeks now over what they say are huge penalties and unfair conditions can you give us an overview of the medical student bond situation in india certainly certainly great so so that's a very good question to start with Yes we do have a uh, bonded medical service which is pervasive across the country which uh, I have a number of states which have implemented such such mandatory uh, compulsory rural service bonds so we need to first look at the principles that underpin these rural uh, service bonds firstly the entire idea is that number one the state uh, which is in question of course uh, wants students to practice into in rural areas to provide their valuable services in there which is the driving motive behind them number 2 is that of course those who have received government subsidy in their education 
they have a duty to pay back to uh, the country because they've received the taxpayers, the exchequer's money. So they have a duty to pay back to the country, not the state here. The keyword is the country, which is why these bonds are implemented. Of course, you have Maharashtra, you have, the, of course, the state that I live in. You have Chhattisgarh, Kerala, Karnataka, of course, the state that you mentioned in your question, Haryana. Multiple states, um, there are certain principles uh, that overarchingly apply to these states and the compulsory rural service bonds that they have. They are for a variable duration from one year to five year. Uh, they have uh, a certain penalty amount affixed to them, which can range from uh, just rupees 10 lakhs, for example, in case of the UG bonds in Maharashtra, to up, up to uh, a couple of crores, in fact. Of course, uh, you know, uh, apart from the fact that students have a responsibility, those who are receiving a subsidy have a responsibility to pay back to the uh, country. There are some other principles which uh, come into question here. Number one is that uh, even without a state subsidy, uh, we need to understand that the process of selection of these students, it involves the, the grounds are uh, based on merit, basically. So they have to clear multiple uh, entrance exams and then only only then they're able to make it. So there is a merit criterion involved in that, which partly tilts the balance in favor of the student itself. Number two is that even without the student paying back to the country, the state is obliged in multiple ways to sponsor and to carry out medical education because medical education by itself has a number of positive externalities. If you believe that a major chunk of your graduates are going to leave uh, the government sector into the private sector, which is you know, de facto subsidizing the private sector, even in the private sector, the doctor is going to serve the country, the, the citizenry of the country is going to avail the services. So this is a positive externality. There's also a positive externality in case the student goes abroad and they send their remittances. So these externalities imply that the state has to support medical education regardless of whether somebody pays back. So that is one. Now, coming to the question of Haryana, so this is actually a very unique case in my in my view, basically, because here we see a shift of intention on the part of the state. It's not just a matter of the student paying back to the country. It's rather the state indemnifying itself. If, if we note the clauses uh, that are involved in the recent announcement by the Haryana government, we see that there is a, it's a tripartite arrangement with the state, the student, and the bank involved. And it's basically the state that is shifting its risks from itself to the banks and to the student. So in, in case a student defaults on the payment and they do not happen to take up medical practice after they graduate, the, it's the, the entire onus falls upon the student and, for the, uh, and upon the banks. So the main intention that is apparent here is for the state to recover its money, not really to send students into rural areas, which is, of course, unique. In my view, I haven't really come across any such instances. It's a sort of innovation, I'd say rather perverse innovation for that matter. And even if you see the seven-year clause that students have to serve for seven years, it reflects similarly, that it's primarily the state here is concerned about recovering its money and not putting students into rural areas. 
you'd you'd also know that uh, the haryana government uh, time and again the vacancies for the doctors that have been released the number of applicants far outnumber the uh, number of vacancies there and even if you go by the number uh, you know numbers shown by the rural health statistics 2020 2021 haryana purportedly has an excess uh, a surplus of doctors so this is something which re- really appears indefensible to me doctor so you have said that the states want to provide rural services to parts that are not that do not have doctors and that is the primary reason behind these medical bonds that colleges impose upon their students and naturally of course they receive uh, subsidized fees so we know that about 75% of our healthcare is found in urban areas and where only 27% of our population resides how is india placed with regard to our rural health services how necessary is mandatory rural health service so um, to give you uh, some back of the envelope figures and facts here about rural healthcare the first thing we need to note is that the per capita spending healthcare spending on rural areas is about half of that of urban areas it's been a consistent finding since uh, like over many decades number 2 is that the total state expenditure if you go by the estimates shown by the the recent accounts urban healthcare accounts for 45% of the total healthcare spending by the states and rural healthcare amounts to around 25 to 27% so you can clearly see the distinction the disparity between the needs and the investments number 2 in terms of the healthcare workforce situation the rural health statistics 2020-2021 as i said it shows that an overwhelming majority of states and union territories for that matter they have an excess of doctors surplus of doctors against the requirement not against their vacancies but against the requirement so in in such a situation if purely you went by the numbers it uh, any sort of intervention to get more doctors into rural areas may appear indefensible but having said that uh, as we know absenteeism is a very major issue that uh, plagues our rural areas uh, and that uh, that uh, characterizes not just the uh, permanent and contractual workers but as as well as the uh, those have serving the their compulsory rural service stints but i believe that uh, uh, if we if we try to figure out the impact of the discontinuation of compulsory rural service we need disaggregated data across these all these three categories of employment which is often not readily available the three categories are permanent employment of course those who are uh, who those who enjoy the civil servant status and in permanent employment with the government the contractual employment primarily under the national health mission and the mandatory service if you were to negate the effect of the permanent and contractual employment categories even then i would believe the difference would not be a sweeping one however that being said we have to note that in conditions of scarcity where doctors are already scarce in number even a little di- difference that is constituted by removing a mandatory rural service can make a considerable difference so but to my mind we need to look at the problem from a different perspective altogether so you want to if you want to address the problem of absenteeism in rural areas the reasons 
for responsible for absenteeism are different among the three categories of employment. Those who are working in a permanent capacity, those working in the contractual capacity, they are primarily driven by a desire to practice privately because they are residing in the rural areas with an intention to stay there and to work there over extended duration. Those are not the very same reasons that uh, spur the mandatory service candidates. They are looking for PPG education. They want to spend the, the major chunk of their time studying or basically they want to avoid the scourge of rural service for, 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 for multiple reasons for that matter. What is interesting is that the reasons that are responsible for mandatory service students for, for absenteeism are far easier to control than it is for the permanent and contractual employment, which is why it yields you a number of handles. You can easily control these reasons. For example, if somebody wants time to study for post-graduation, and for post-graduation is the foremost thing on their minds, you have ways to incentivize that. You have all such arrangements already in place which can be accentuated. You give greater marks for postgraduate selection. Similarly, somebody serving a bond is more amenable to being more monitored. So the absenteeism in this class of uh, employees, the mandatory service employees, are far more amenable to our control, which is why uh, in, if we happen to get the incentives right, compulsory service can indeed prove to be a useful avenue to make up for the scarcity of rural doctors. So, like you said, doctor, there are certain ways to go about this. Now, there are reports that the Union Health Ministry is drafting guidelines to do away with this bond policy altogether, following recommendations of the National Medica Medical Commission. And it it is uh, possibly deciding to draft a uniform policy that maybe does not have this financial penalty clause. Does this bond policy need to be re-looked at? Do we need a uniform policy for the country or because certain states are better in healthcare than other states, does it have to be a state-wise thing? Mm -hmm. So uh, you understand that rural-urban imbalance in terms of well, whatever, in terms of because uh, primarily we're discussing the health workforce situation here, but if it applies to the larger picture of healthcare as well, it's a development problem, as you all know. So well, our, our prime motto here is to see that we get more doctors to practice in rural areas. Now, there are some costs involved in there. Of, to, to begin with, our prime intention is to recover costs because the state has spent in medical education. We want to recover these costs at little additional extra costs. Now, if you want to bridge this disparity, this urban-rural dichotomy, then you have to solve this development problem, which, of course, in the medium term or in the short term, it, it is totally infeasible. So we have to look at practical, targeted and cost-effective avenues in order to improve our rural healthcare. Having said that, we have seen that uh, you know broad-based policies, for example, the entire primary healthcare movement, for that matter, that characterized the 1970s and 80s, the, the one of the main reasons why it failed to catch up, why it failed to succeed, is because they are too broad-based. We, uh, we have a number of curricular reforms uh, on offer that, that have been suggested by uh, leading experts that we should be promoting family medicine as part of the medical curriculum. We should be doing away basically with the specialty orientation that most medical graduates carry. But it is hard to see that these things would take place over the short term. 
Number two is that we need to differentiate between retention in rural areas and recruitment in rural areas. Recruitment is a short-term endeavor and it is far more amenable to control through incentives, curricular changes, whatever. But rural retention is a long-term problem and uh, it's a long-term endeavor. And for retention to happen, you're going to spend much more than to recruit. Now, one of the downsides of recruiting and repeatedly recruiting, because these mandatory bonds are one year to five years, so you'll have uh, you know, a very high turnover of the students. So this high turnover would entail costs, and that's, that, I believe, is the necessary trade-off. But focusing on retention at this point of time especially in the short term, is going to be very resource intensive and this is not prescribed. In order to improve the rural recruitment, this is where the incentives come into play. As, and now coming to the second part of your uh, question as to uh, whether there should be a, a mandatory service in the first place. Now, doing away with the bond policy is something that I don't really support, given the fact, as, as I mentioned in response to your previous question, that even a little difference in terms of you know, increasing the number of rural doctors or decreasing them as a result of not having the policy is going to make a significant difference. But uh, I'm, I, I'm, as much as I empathize with my fellow doctors and decry the fact that existing working conditions are deplorable, I am not going to be in favor of doing the bond policy. The, sure, the union government, the center can intervene, medical education and medical profession being on the concurrent list of the constitution, but rather given the magnitude and the ubiquity of the problem of rural doctor shortage, the center should rather come out with a sensible and sensitive policy of rural service, which states and local governments can tailor according to the requirements. The National Medical Commission's, of course, the, of course, um, the policy that has been pronounced by the union government, the intention to create a uh, uh, do away with uh, bonded service. What underlies that is the contention that a, a lot has changed uh, with the medical education system since these uh, these compulsory bonds were promulgated. But this is highly contestable. For example, the curriculum, the medical curriculum still continues to be based out of tertiary care institutions. We still have only tokenistic orientation for the students to rural areas. So we, we can't discern any major curricular changes that will prime students to go into rural areas. So blanket removal of the mandatory bonded service is something that I would not recommend. Doctor, you said that as per statistics alone, we seem to have enough doctors. But then the, you, you, you mentioned the problem of widespread absenteeism. So what are the ways, if not a heavy monetary penalty, what are the other ways in which rural service can be incorporated if states wish to do this? And are there any models in India or abroad that have worked for this in order to help retain uh, rural healthcare personnel? So we need to understand why penalty comes into question here. For any setting that involves a white, you know, an, uh, a very large chunk of the country's healthcare being provided by the private sector, the role of penalties becomes important at, the, at, at that point. If we had health systems, for example, like Thailand, which have a very large public sector and a very minor private sector that 
caters mainly for the affluent population. In such cases, it is possible to possibly do away with penalties. But penalties will, of course, continue to remain a part of the equation. However, that being said, we have to look at bundled incentives, bundled uh, interventions, and not uh, solitary interventions in silos. Uh, whatever successful examples we see across the globe, they are largely, you know, they feature bundled interventions. These bundled interventions uh, include, of course, uh, I, I, if I were to put it mathematically, it would be 40% of incentives. Incentives could be financial incentives, uh, educational in incentives in terms of postgraduate education reservations, as well as a bonus marks for these candidates. And of course, 40% strategic interventions, which of course will come to very soon. And penalties or the coercive interventions have to also comprise 10 to 20% of that. So uh, in terms of country examples, uh, we have something which is indigenous and domestic and it can play a big part in leading um, uh, the examples for other states. Uh, Chhattisgarh. You know that Chhattisgarh has had in place a, a system called as the Chhattisgarh Rural Medical Corps since 2009. So what Chhattisgarh basically did was that apart from having a penalty, which of course they increased, it has an enhanced pen penalty for those skipping the bonded service, they provided f facilities for spouses, for children's education, for accommodation, and transportation. They also gave a 20%, about 10 to 20% hike in the salaries of those uh, being employed under mandatory rural service bonds as compared to those in regular employment. So these are some of the you know, sequentially timed uh, multifaceted interventions which are applied together. And this has shown considerable improvement in terms of reducing rural vacancies as well as in terms of even in terms of hard health outcomes in sort of uh, you know the increase in number of outpatient visits and inpatient visits and we need to note that chhattisgarh is one of the areas which is characterized by many backward areas conflict ridden areas so if something if policy interventions can show their impact in such circumstances i believe it's much you know, for forward states like Maharashtra or even Haryana for that matter, it's, it's very easy to get the incentives right. What we need to keep in mind is that we should not resort to applying regulations simply because it costs us nothing. Even though penalties are important, we should be looking at positive incentives because coercion, coercion has the potential to detract students from entering medicine in the first place, which is something we should be avoiding. And it will significantly erode the goodwill, the motivation of the candidates. And we, as we know from, in, uh, from history and from the experiences so far, that there are ways to bypass that are not hard to find, especially in the Indian context. Apart from Chhattisgarh, of course, you have multiple international examples that can offer us important takeaways. Uh, we can look at, for example, if I were to cite a few neighboring countries, you have Bhutan. So in Bhutan, uh, what Bhutan stands out for is a clear role communication that has been offered to the doctors. For example, in India, uh, what's happening in most of the states is that we are training medical students in tertiary care institutions. The messaging that we are delivering throughout their education is that they're meant to practice in similar 
settings in similar urban uh, urban based settings tertiary care settings so once uh, their education ends and you send them off to rural areas to practice so that creates a sense of alienation rather what happened in bhutan is that a dedicated cadre of health assistants uh, has been created they have been operational for quite some time now they undergo a 3 year diploma in community health and they are part of the civil service they have well laid out career progression trajectories so you know the messaging here is clear that yes you have to work in rural areas following completion of your training so this messaging is important apart from that uh, you have the case of myanmar of course in myanmar you have you have it in the case of nurses and midwives so what myanmar has done is that it has tried to decongest its urban centers mandalay and yangon and it has moved a, a good chunk of its medical colleges into rural peripheries so what that helps with is that it helps to train students locally so that they know that this is how healthcare happens to be and their the students are recruited locally so both of these factors there is evidence internationally of course not in the indian context partly because of the paucity of studies and partly because they have not been tested widely enough but there is a, a evidence also coming from the uk as well as countries such as myanmar that training locally and recruiting students locally helps with retention far more than pecuniary and monetary incentives okay so that is one part of it which of course needs to be incorporated in the indian context depending upon the state's context we have thailand for that matter thailand also well known case of uh, community healthcare strong community healthcare thailand stands out from uh, the fact that during the 1960s itself thailand created two different cadres of uh, village health volunteers basically who were entrusted with providing clinical care to the population so uh, we, like we're talking about the decade of the 60s when you know consumerism and community healthcare across the world was only catching up it was the time of decolonization so we were witnessing a radical shift in how healthcare was perceived but the fact that thailand was able to conceive that so early was itself pioneering nonetheless in 2004 what is more re- relevant to the indian context is that just akin to myanmar Thailand started a program named the collaborative project to improve increase the production of rural doctors it's CPIRD what they did similarly they for 3 years of the medical education they were uh, held within the community for a certain section of medical graduates so for the pre clinical years they'll they'll train in universities for the next 3 years of clinical education they are going to train in rural areas students are going to be recruited from rural areas and they're going to be placed back into rural areas for the next 3 years and apart from that thailand provided a range of incentives from starting from overtime allowances hard, hardship allowances best doctor awards and so on and so forth you can see that all of these are positive incentives coupled with some amount of coercion which of course becomes important so what that did is that it re- helped reduce the rural urban disparity in thailand from uh, a 21 fold difference to a five fold di- difference over three decades basically starting from the 1975 
to the early 2000s. So we, we can see that how such policies that in, in uh, that have 80% of incentives and 10 to 20% of coercion, they can indeed result in visible improvements in uh, the state of rural healthcare. Doctor, that brings up an interesting point I wanted to ask you about. You said that in Bhutan, they have a three-year community health program. The issue of shortage of healthcare personnel in rural areas has come up from time to time in India and various governments have brought up proposals to have shorter duration courses to train practitioners, but this has almost always sparked controversy. What is that? Is that something that India can, should consider with certain safeguards? Right. So, yes, certainly. And this goes back a long way, basically. So the Indian Medical Council Act, which, of course, uh, you know, there were a number of iterations of that during uh, the British rule and that them finally, finally cemented after independence. They recognized a lot, a number of uh, short term courses short duration courses, one of which was the licentiate medical practitioner, who, which was quite pervasive across the Indian, uh, the country, basically, prior to independence. So uh, what is important to note is that they fell off the popular support uh, after, after independence. And there have been time and again uh, attempts to revive them. For example, uh, in the early uh, in the early last decade, the past decade, we got proposals uh, regarding the BSc in community health, which I believe is still being provided in this country. So, along those lines, uh, the most recent development has been uh, the creation of the mid-level healthcare provider under the Ayushman Bharat Mission. As you know, the health and wellness centers, the sub-centers at the sub-center level, they're manned by MLHPs, mid-level healthcare providers, who have short-term training. They, they could be either Ayush graduates, they could be uh, nurses, BSc nurses or GNM nurses, for that matter, who get uh, trained in a certificate program in community health and they're employed in sub-centers. So that's, I, I believe we are, are close to doing that. That is a, 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 a very useful proposal. But having said that, and I'm, I'm not going to allude to examples uh, of task shifting that countries like US and UK have to offer. They're far removed from the Indian context. But as we discussed, Thailand, for example, village health volunteers of the 1960s and 70s, they were entrusted with clinical responsibilities, partial clinical responsibilities. Similarly, in China, everybody knows the celebrated case of uh, the barefoot doctors, barefoot doctors of the 1960s who later became village doctors. So we have such uh, cases abound from across the world, the health, health extension workers of Ethiopia, which show that, yes, task, task shifting from doctors to mid-level healthcare, healthcare providers can indeed work, number one. Uh, that it doesn't undermine rural healthcare as um, uh, much unlike the contentions advanced by the various medical associations time and again. But uh, having said that, considering the state of Indian healthcare today and given how far we have come and given the entrenched professional interests that characterize India, it may not be wise to create another new cadre of mid-level healthcare providers other than what we already have. Because we have, uh, you know, 
health systems they tend to follow path dependent trajectories for example what happens today influences what is going to happen tomorrow and tomorrow it becomes very difficult to change what could have been changed today so if at all the the mid level provider the intermediate cadre uh, uh, of professionals should have been introduced far back in india and currently is not the time to do that now coming to the second part of your question about widespread absenteeism absenteeism as we discussed uh, among the mandatory service doctors we have a separate set of reasons but now focusing mainly on the permanent and contractual uh, doctors it's largely linked to private practice as we all know so private practice in india is lucrative it's ubiquitous and given the path dependent trajectories if if we note that the bhore committee the landmark document that has that is responsible for much of the public sector the shape of the public sector today as as much as it discouraged private practice as much as it upheld public healthcare it did not explicitly make any recommendation to ban private practice okay so we have instances from countries like turkey for example turkey also has a mandatory service clause for all the graduating doctors uh for a 500 day period turkey one of the ways turkey incentivized rural service is that they banned rural uh, private practice they banned private practice and they increased the salaries in the public sector which is why they witnessed a shift from the private to the public much unlike what we see here in india but currently to ban private practice in india is not a feasible proposition not just because of the entrenched professional interests but also because of the current mood of the healthcare for example in the last decade we have seen multiple uh, initiatives taken to expand insurance based healthcare in this country which of course this pri- private sector has a pivotal role to play in right so we, on on one side where while we are looking at expanding public private partnerships we cannot really put a ban a blanket ban on private practice so absenteeism countering absenteeism by banning private practice or discouraging private practice is not a feasible alternative in today's india but having said that to ensure that uh, you know our peripheral facilities are in a well staffed throughout the weeks uh, and absenteeism is curbed we need strong mechanisms to monitor the staff their attendance and so on and de- decentralized systems for example greater participation of the community of the local uh, governmenters and then the rogi kalyan samitis and um, such structures their role becomes very important monitoring is very important there is no alternative to more, more monitoring and we have examples from the, our, our neighboring country for example in nepal in nepal you have similar mandatory service clauses but given that much of medical education in nepal is privately conducted the government in turn offers scholarships to students to train in private medical colleges following which they are required to work in rural areas for a minimum period of 2 years so in even in such cases and of course in nepal you you don't get the license to practice and you don't get a no objection certificate to move out outside the country unless you finish your mandatory service so even in such cases we have uh, in uh, evidence from nepal that despite a 
an apparently uh, sound structure. If you're not good at monitoring, if you're not good at ensuring adherence and attendance in the periphery, then no arrangement is going to work. So in that case, the role of the gram panchayats become very important. Apart from that, in order to empower the mandatory service doctors, in order to incentivize them to move to the peripheries, we have to keep in mind a, f- a few elements. Number one, why do students get discouraged? Number one is that immediately after their training, they're not really prepared to take on independent responsibilities. In such a case, we can follow the precedence of countries like South Africa. For example, South Africa has a two-year internship period rather than a one-year internship period. This is not to say that we we also incorporate a two-year internship, but the gist of the matter is that we need to adequately equip our students with the right amount of skills in order to be practicing independently. That happens to be a very daunting task for, for the students. Number two, is uh, as as I said, to we need to work on recruitment, not retention, in the short term. And to improve recruitment, you can just tweak with the existing incentives, just increase the existing incentives, and that's going to serve you just fine. For instance, uh, if if we if you have ever wondered, uh, the minimum that uh, I know that the, the clause that the the bond penalty that is supported by the state is about 10 lakh rupees. That, that's going to be the median amount. Why is it that a person, because of course in rural service settings, the salaries for the fresh pass outs is, if, if anything, it's, it's a notch higher than the private sector for the similar designations. Why do they avoid rural practice? They have, why do they get ready to pay penalties up to rupees 50 lakhs, up to 10 lakh, 15 lakhs gross for that what what is it that discourages them because it's just a matter of a couple of years or one year at the most so we we have to understand that we are doing something fundamentally wrong there that we don't need exorbitant incentives to get doctors to practice in rural areas what we need to do is give reasonable amount of accommodation give them a good pay hike for working in rural areas Arrange for greater supervision of these doctors by the permanent doctors or those above them. Ensure that attendance monitoring systems are in place because I've personally been witness to that and in a number of visits that I've made to the periphery. You'd know that it's far, far easier for a student to pay up a certain amount in in the form of bribery or, or the corruption and to be able to be exempt from the rural service than to totally abdicate rural service by paying the bond penalty. So in, in, by de facto, their names are on the list, but they are, they are not actively working there. So you need to give the right incentives. You need to give the right supervision, the right high handholding, accommodation, the correct incentives. And I figure that given where we stand today, it's not going to take them, uh, take us a lot of, uh, you know, it's not going to cost us a lot. So a multi-pronged approach, essentially. The po- positive positive incentives, encouragement, handholding, training programs, as well as a long-term approach towards, of course, spending more on rural healthcare. Right, but uh, what is noticeable is that uh, it's not going because since the state wants to recover its expenses for a student to pay back to the society, we have to make the arrangement really cost-effective. 
because we can't say that we are going to develop rural areas in order to attract doctors there. So the, first, the second uh, intention here, it's subservient to the first one. It's a development question. We can't develop rural areas purely because we want doctors to go there. Rather, we want cost-effective interventions and to increase the incentives and to build upon the existing structures is not going to cost us a lot and it is going to pay back a lot for us, to us. So we need to keep that in mind and we need to stay away of uh, interventions that are largely coercive uh, in nature. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Doctor. Thank you so much, Zubeda. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.